Greetings and welcome. If you haven't heard of Spotify for Podcasters, it's the easiest way to create and publish your podcast. It's free. That's right. It's free to download. It has built-in tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast from your cell phone or any smart device. Spotify for Podcasters also distributes your podcast on virtually any platform that streams podcasts like Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Apple and Google Podcasts, and much more. You can even monetize your podcast with no minimum listeners. It's your one-stop app for podcasting. Remember, it's free. I'm your host. I'm your producer. I'm your fire medic CEO, LP, Larry Pinson. We got a very special guest in our building today <laughs> that's going to be talking about sex trafficking and her career and how she transitioned from that life and what she's doing as far as being an advocate for those that are trafficked and even more. Like we got a bunch that we're going to talk about in this next hour. But before we get started, I got to give you all the disclaimer stuff because that's what we do. This is the Trigger Want to Talk podcast. Uncensored conversations. We say what it is. It is what we say. We don't do fluff. That's some. That's what you do to pillows and shit. That's what you add to cappuccinos and stuff. That's all I'm saying, Sam. That's all I'm saying. I just got to let people know that. So we do real talk. Like, if you got to drop some F-bombs or whatever, because I want people to understand, like, this is adults talking to adults about adult shit, and we keep oh, it that's real. that's good. I honest. was raised by sailors, and I guess way more often than I should. <laughs> Look, don't make me start laughing because I, I, I'm trying to get through this this intro. So okay. hold on. So if you, seriously, if you are triggered at any point during this podcast and we're recording it, uh, Sammy's not on camera, but it's going to be available across all audio streams. I'm doing a video portion of this. So her screen is blacked out, but I got to do a missing person case and I don't have a video or audio for it. But I want to show the missing person directory poster of this individual. And I'll have the link of this individual. Her name is Bridget Renee Mitchell. Again, Bridget Renee Mitchell. I'm going to talk about her case. I got the link from missingin.org. Missingin.org. I'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. However, getting back to what I said. If you are triggered at any point during this podcast, please call 911. If you don't have an immediate need, we got a bunch of resources that are going to be listed in the show notes like we do for every podcast interview. So trafficking, domestic violence, sexual assault, all of those hotlines and websites are listed. If you have substance abuse and or alcohol issue, we have Al-Anon for those that are supporting those individuals. We have Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous. Those information, those bits of information are listed also. If you have suicide issues, there's a new hotline. There's a three-digit code like 911. It's 988. Again, 988. So without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. Her name is Samantha Ryan. We just call her <laughs> Sammy. She's from the Midwest, like your fire medic CEO, brother, <laughs> LP. And you can find her on Clubhouse because that's why I ran into her. She is a professional singer slash songwriter. 
and poet living in the Midwest. I'm going to have her talk more about herself. So I'm going to introduce her and give her the mic. And we're just going to jump right into it because Sammy, here's what I always say. 75 to 80% of the podcast that we do is not me talking. It's the person that I'm interviewing. And because this is some heavy subject matter, I want you to educate, enlighten, advocate, and raise awareness for trafficking because that's what you do. And that's what I do. And that's what we're going to do today in this interview. So without further ado... (laughs) I want to give you the mic and I want you to tell us about Sammy and we're going to, just going to jump into your story. Wow. Well, thank you for that intro and thank you again for holding space for a topic that is so near and dear to my heart, not just as a victim, but as a survivor and a thriver. It, there's so much to to talk about. <laughs> I don't know where to begin. I guess I should start by correcting some of the misinformation that's out there about trafficking. Before you do that. Because we're going to, that's going to be the okay. meat and potatoes. We'll get into that in a second, second. I want you to tell us about who Oh, gotcha. Are. Okay, sure. I have been a professional singer-songwriter for a little over 20 years. That's career. My career in music is my life and my reason for being in my passion. But I found myself in a position when I was 35 where I was groomed by my abuser. And I was literally held down and forced to perform uh, acts of a sexual nature against my will and against my consent with people that he had sold me to through the use of Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> you don't ever think that that is going to be your truth until you find yourself in it. There are so many red flags that I could have paid attention to, but no one took me aside and said, hey, this is <laughs> this is wrong. If somebody does this, this is not right. And, you know, bow out. <laughs> and maybe if they had, it never would have happened. I mean, who's to say? So one of the reasons I talk about my experience is to bring awareness to those red flags. So people are, are literally aware of what grooming looks like and how it takes place because they found that it follows a particular pattern almost every time. It's the breaking of a person's will. And that is a psychological pattern that groomers and traffickers have perfected to a science. And it's you're able to recognize these cues. The trick is believing that you're worthy enough to leave in the first place. And they will try and convince you that you're not. So with I guess with that said, where would you like me to start? We're going to start talking about misconceptions. We're going to jump into red flags. We're going to talk about therapy, advocacy, and then we'll wrap it up with singing. And I always call this club segment. I give you the mic and say, how can people reach you? What are you doing? What do you got coming down the pike? You know, what's going on for future events, dates, Mm -hmm. whatever you're doing, that that part will be all for you to, to tell us about. And then we'll jump into the missing person segment. So, again, trigger warning, conversations. Real talk. Okay. Let's go. Let's talk about, let's start with uh, misconceptions. What are misconceptions in relationship to So I found that the most common misconception is that trafficking only happens to young children. The truth is, and the sad truth is, there is a market for flesh of any age in America. Um, it is about power. It's not about sex. And labor trafficking is something that exists as well. A lot of times it's used in tandem with sex trafficking. 
And sex trafficking is going to look different from victim to victim to victim. My truth is not necessarily going to be shared by somebody else because their experience could be vastly different. Um, but the grooming, like I said, that psychological process of demeaning someone and breaking their willpower looks the same just about every single time. And that's incredible. Another misconception is that we're powerless to do anything about it. One of the greatest things you can do is create an atmosphere within your family where your children don't feel fear or shame by sharing what they're feeling with you. A lot of runaways are immediately targeted as trafficking victims because they're a very easy target to pick off. They're already in a very vulnerable state, right? So cut that pipeline off before it even starts. There are ways to circumvent this vastly huge issue that nobody is talking about. And one of the things I'm trying to do is, is bring awareness. And, and I imagine we'll talk about that later. And I'm excited to talk about that. I would really like to focus on not the trauma that I went through, but the healing of in the journey afterwards and let people know that there's hope after. Absolutely. We are a solution-based plan of action awesome. I would say, and here's why. When people find out that I'm a first responder and they find out specifically I'm a fire medic, mm -hmm. which is a firefighter, paramedic, they want to know, I get the same questions. Uh, what's the worst things that you've seen? Uh, how many people have, you know, you dealt with that have died oh. and all this stuff. They want right. to know the blood and guts. And I always say, I'm not going to give you the blood and guts, but I will talk about mm -hmm. those cases, you know, making sure that I'm not giving out demographics you know, abiding by the HIPAA laws and all those things, because I'm still licensed as a medic, even though mm. I retired in 2020. And so I don't give them the blood and guts. And when I'm talking to people, as well as when I'm doing my interviews, I say, I don't need to know all the specs of what happens. I don't need to know some of those things in great detail. You tell me what you want to share okay. with the audience. You can be general or specific as you want to about sure. what happened to you. And if you don't want to talk about those things, but you want to just mention them like you did, yeah, that's perfectly I, fine. I want people I want to understand. It's not that I don't want to talk about it. I am yeah. I am literally fighting uh, a case against my abuser and, and we'll be facing him in open court soon. So I'm under a gag order and I'm not allowed to speak about a lot of it. <laughs> no, I was getting ready to say that because so you always be reading my That's mind. Stop do. reading my mind. You know what? You've been talking to Marcella too much. She then gave you some yeah. feelings and shit. All right, look. Let me say this for all the list. Sammy has an open case that's being adjudicated mm -hmm. right now. Part of the reason she's not on camera is because of that. Part of the reason that she's not going to give a lot of information about what's going on with her is because her perpetrator is... Oh, he's facing him. Yeah, sixty-four so, years. Right, so, right. So he's innocent until proven guilty. To say, like sure. Everybody is in the court of law. So I want to say it again: he's innocent until proven guilty in a sure. court of law. Period. That's, and you know, okay. on that note, after my abuse, I had yeah. to decide to myself what was more important to me: justice or vengeance. And in the end, I chose justice mm -hmm. because I don't want my soul to ever look as black and tarred and oily and slick as my abusers is. 
and it took a while, that's what's happening. No problem. Now, let's jump into the next thing. Do you have any other misconceptions? You know, I'm trying to think. Um, there, I, I want to highlight again that grooming can literally and does happen at any age. It just takes a vulnerable person, male or female, to be in a state where they are able to be dominated and controlled, right? And is different from person to person, but can happen at any age and at any part of your life cycle. It's important to remember that, that trafficking, again, can happen at any age. I was 35 when it happened to me. So let's do this. I want to do a, a top okay. five when it comes when it comes to misconceptions. Top five okay. to top 10. I want you to give me the top five, the top 10 misconceptions about. Okay. Um, Go. I, again, I want to bring attention to the fact that it's not only young children that are trafficked, that it can happen to any age. And it's also the second point is that it is despairingly more prevalent in communities with people of color. And that's important to remember for a number of reasons. Then there needs to be a safety net in place, right? We need to get the word out about what self-love is and what these red flags are so that people are aware and can make informed decisions for themselves about their well-being. And that's not Great. happening in co in communities that are populated with people of color. And that's a travesty that is disgusting and absolutely needs to stop. The next misconception is that trafficking looks the same for everybody. It's absolutely not true. Everyone's truth is unique. And there are some people who genuinely believe that they chose that life because they've been groomed to believe that, that they were groomed and made to feel like they had no other option and they blame themselves. And that's another travesty that's horrible. But ultimately, the blame lies with the trafficker. Um, another misconception, oftentimes the traffickers are people who were trafficked themselves. So the safety net that needs to be in place needs to also be in place for the people perpetuating these crimes because oftentimes they're victims themselves. And we see this happen all too often um, when talking about you know cycles of violence and domestic violence and sexual abuse, right? It's the same with trafficking. Um, finally, and the point I really want to drive home is that uh, the aftercare for trafficking is so, so important. Studies have shown that uh, traditionally women who finally leave their abusive situation receive about three months of mental health support after the fact, but that does nothing in the long term. It takes years of real work um, and steady work and a team of people to get you back to what your baseline was before that trauma happened. I, I want to thank you so sure. much for highlighting those things. Let's move on to mm. red flags because here's the meat and potatoes of what we're going to be talking about mm -hmm. during this hour. Red flags. You know, the hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So I approach this topic with caution because I find it very dangerous to talk about okay. sometimes. You know, it's it's not my fault and I understand that, but sometimes it's hard to reconcile the fact that these signs that are now so obvious to me were not so obvious then. So I, I tread lightly here. And if you find yourself recognizing these symptoms and these signs, please reach out and talk to someone who can help you 
because you're in a vulnerable state at the very least and deserve to have space held for you to speak your truth and get the help that you need. So with that said, one of the very first things <laughs> is that my abuser had my number the moment he saw me. He was able to look at me and say, hey, there is a girl who exudes self-confidence in one area, but is not self-confident in her looks and her overall attitude and demeanor. Like this is a woman who is eager to please someone because she just wants to be loved. He was able to read that by looking at my face. That is an absolute truth. That is a fact. Okay. That it started with love bombing graciously. A love bombing is an act where someone will bomb you with affection and love and uh, adoration, you know, sing your praises and just fawn all over you. And it doesn't make much sense, right? Because you're just getting to know somebody and you're like, but it feels good if you are not used to being loved, right? If you grew up in a situation where you were fighting to find love, like a lot of us were, that love bombing can be confused as actual feelings. And, and you shouldn't chide yourself for getting those confused, but it's important to note the difference, right? So it starts with love bombing. And then it moves on to very insidious methods. Like my abuser started ostracizing me from my friends and family. And it was like, it's a very insidious. I wasn't allowed to use the cell phone uh, for various reasons. I wasn't allowed to speak to my friends or talk to my family. And then he convinced my friends that I didn't want anything to do with them also. You know, it, he was working both angles. He was doing his best to make sure I was an island unto myself because that is the most vulnerable position a person can be in when they have no support system at their, at their ready, right? And then it moves on to acts of aggression. I remember the first time my abuser slapped me and, you know, it was open-handed like most of them start with. And I was so shocked and he was so apologetic, but he also made sure to make me feel like I should have known better and I shouldn't have said what I said. And I should take note. And he was very sorry that he acted out like that and it wouldn't happen again. But ultimately it was my fault because I knew better than to say what I said you know, and then it moves on to further acts of aggression. And uh, in my case, I became aware of his, uh, he's, he's a pedophile and um, his, his uh, method of selling me was an act of revenge for not being okay with his lifestyle is ultimately what it came down to. Like he felt betrayed by me for trying to tell people that this is not an okay person, that he was um, doing these acts and he should be stopped. And uh, it got, it, it went from bad to insane in a very short amount of time. Um, I mean, I'm talking over the course of like a month and a half. And I know he had been planning it for a lot longer, but over that course of a month and a half, I literally feared for my life I, to this day. And this is three years past when I, when I left, I still don't sleep more than three or four hours a night at a time because I've trained myself not to sleep too long because I was convinced that he was going to kill me in my sleep. Um, 
And I am actually still convinced that had I not left when I did, that that's absolutely what would have happened. And that's how quickly it can change. All of this took place over the course of six months. When we talk well, a year, technically. Um, oh, I lived with the, the most abusive part for half a year. But the journey from being a person I met through a friend to that most abusive person took six months. That's an insane short amount of time. I want to send you some. Oh, I thank you for that. I received right that. And I also want to tell you that your strength and your courage to not only share your story, but to come on a public platform, that's some superhero shit. Um, don't look at it like Man. superhero stuff. I mean, I appreciate you saying that, but I feel like it's my duty that if I'm able to hold space for other victims who can't speak out, then that's something I should absolutely do. And I'm okay with that, you know? That's what superheroes do. They do stuff that regular people are not going to do for whatever <laughs> reason. That's what superheroes do. I'm going to tell you this, like I always tell people, right across the hallway in my wife's office, because we both work from home, she bought me this plaque. It has the EMS logo on it. And it says, <laughs> all superheroes don't wear capes. People call me a superhero because I'm a first responder because I've, won clinical life-saving awards and all this stuff or whatever. I'm like, I don't, I'm not a superhero. And when she brought me that, <laughs> I said, damn, I look at it from a different point of view. So people like myself and people like you who have dealt with trauma, just like mm -hmm. me, I've dealt with trauma personally and professionally yeah. as a fire medic, have done things to help raise awareness, to be an advocate to save lives, whether it's verbally and or physically, whether it's interventions and all of these different things like that. And the work that you're doing, just like coming on this platform, just like having these conversations, just like facing your your aggressor, just like seeking justice, just like helping those that might be in the life get out of that and do something different. And we're going to talk about some of the other things that you're doing outside of the trafficking work that makes you a superhero. I, I appreciate that. And I receive that. Um, I don't see it that way. I just look at it like it's the right thing to do, you know? Um, and I, I made the decision. This is the crazy thing. I know now, right. That I am a kinder, more compassionate and better person having gone through this trauma. And now I'm seeing the other side of it. Right. Um, than I was before this happened. And I don't want to give my abuser any credit, right? It was the act of going through my healing journey and continuing on that's made me this better person. Um, but I'm grateful mm -hmm. that I've had this experience and that I can hold space like this and bring awareness because I, I know I can handle it, right? Um, and that's, that's Absolutely. just the way it is, <laughs> you know? It's a conversation that never should have happened. Um, there are no guidelines in place by the APA on how to correctly address and deal with um, PTSD survivors of sexual exploitation and human trafficking. Um, there are no programs in place to teach mental health professionals how to correctly treat the PTSD that surrounds, um, you know, the, the trauma of being sexually exploited and, and being trafficked. 
that's another travesty. Why, why isn't there a safety net in place? Why are we letting these people fall through the gaps? We are only showing them that maybe their abuser was right and they aren't worth the time and energy and effort to combat and save. And that's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. That's, we need to change the narrative. I want to talk about another mm-hmm. issue regarding trafficking in terms of training. When you look at first responders, what would you like for us to do and know? And let's start off with what would you like for us to say? First of all, be scene? very, very aware that the person in front of you is probably not okay with being touched. And that's okay. That's their right. Um, be very aware of where your hands are. Make sure they're in front of you the entire time um, so they can keep track of them because we are hyper vigilant and hyper aware of where that next hit is coming from, especially in the aftermath after leaving that abuse, right? Um, one of the best things you can tell us is validating us while also allowing us to know that in that moment we are safe. That is paramount to everything, that we made the right call. That's important because I've done that in a domestic violence call, and I've talked about this before, where a woman, she had gotten cut on her mm. left forearm really deep, really bad. Fortunately, it wasn't an arterial bleed, but it was down Jeez. to the muscle leg. And so we get there and she has a big white towel on her arm. The cops are there and everything because we had to stage for a few moments before mm-hmm. they cleared the scene, made sure it was safe. And so uh, she didn't even want to go to the hospital initially. And so I was like, ma'am, right. I can't take care of this here. You need bright lights and steel. And so she finally agreed. We get her in the ambulance. We get her all patched up enough to get ready to go en route. And after the police officer got his report, well, let me backtrack. The first thing she said to me and my partner and the officer that was going to take the report was, he always hit me. And, and one of the first police. things to remember is that one of the first agencies that let us down, those of us who were victimized by the cycle of human trafficking is the medical agency, right? Because there are supposed to be people in place that notice these cycles of abuse and and raise awareness to people who can help, right? And that was overlooked in my case in such egregious ways. I mean, um, I I literally had to have a hysterectomy because of of the abuse that I suffered. Um, You know, surgeries, uh, concussions, um, broken ribs, things that obviously signify abuse, right? That any idiot could put together and say, clearly this woman is being abused and no one took the time to do that for me. No one said- When you look at these charts, these flyers that teach about human and sex trafficking. Um, What's your opinion? I, I appreciate that people are trying to bring awareness, right? But I think they're getting the talking points all wrong. I take Ashton Kutcher, for example. He's doing amazing work and he's bringing awareness, but he's not talking about the bigger picture, the fact that it can happen at any age, the fact that it happens to uh, communities populated with people of color, more often than um, white communities. And that's not to say it doesn't happen to white communities, right? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying it's so disproportionate, it's almost unbelievable. And that needs to be and should be immediately addressed before anything else, right? Um, Let's talk about why this is happening. Let's figure this out and find a solution together that addresses 
every aspect. This is the Trigger Want to Talk podcast sponsored by Anchor, produced by Penton Pending Consultant Solutions, LLC. If you want any help immediately and need any help immediately, we ask that you call 911. That's your first resource that starts the documentation process. That emergency medical dispatcher, which most people call 911 operator, has the training and the equipment and the access to get you police, fire, EMS, and maybe some other resources depending on where you live. Definitely call 911. If you don't have an immediate need, we have some resources listed in the show notes for every episode that we do that's streaming on all platforms. So in the show notes, we have hotlines and websites for domestic violence, trafficking, sexual assault. We have hotlines and phone numbers for Al-Anon, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. If you have suicidal issues, whether you or someone you know or someone you don't know, but you know of, call 988. That's the new hotline set up. It is 988. It was established nationwide July 16th of this year. And again, we are sponsored by Anchor. Powered by Riverside FM. Real real quick, I'd I'd like to address if you find yourself listening to my truth and resonating with it and thinking to yourself, man, that sounds a lot like what I'm currently going through. Um, reach out. There are people who can help understand that most likely your abuser has put methods in place to watch your internet activity, to watch your phone activity, but there's ways around that. Okay. Um, for instance, you can use, um, uh, incognito mode on Google and it won't save any of your search history. Right. Um, a lot of the websites that you go to like rain have an option uh, for you to quickly jump out of that website should your abuser walk into the room. Um, there's there's safety nets in place for you if you're scared to reach out. And what I want us to do, and you and I will work on some of this stuff later uh, outside of this interview. We're going to create a list of resources that I want to put on my website, which is pinpinning.com, where there'll be a link on there because Mrs. LP is doing a blog and that's primarily focused on missing persons, but we're going to expand and add some more categories and stuff. And so I want people to understand that Mm -hmm. there are a ton of resources out there. You just have nowhere to go. And we want to have all this in a concise, clear, ready to click on link for everybody that wants yes to absolutely one of the easiest help. things you can do so. is uh dial 211 on your phone and ask to be connected to domestic violence shelters yeah. and they will have immediate and concise answers for you right then and there they will put a safety plan in place to get you out of the uh, situation you're in um and they can do it in a manner that is not going to alert your abuser that you've even left and he will have no idea where you've gone and you will be safe. And that's two on one. Yes. That's anywhere in the mm-hmm. U.S. Okay. I want to talk about your move from being victimized to surviving and overcoming. So let's talk about how you <laughs> sought therapy and sought help. Because I always tell people. Absolutely. Seek Absolutely. Help. Bro, um, what was your I, path? I, this is astounding. I... 
I am on disability for my PTSD. I don't mind telling people that. Um, and I was actually granted disability my first go around applying because of all the evidence in the medical field about my abuse. That's, that's how much they let me down. You know, there is so much evidence there that was overlooked that they granted me disability on my first application. That, that astounds me, but I guess that's beside the point. Um, find a mental health team that you trust that you can be open and honest with and listen to them. Okay. They typically have your best interests at heart. If you are worried about having to take medication, understand that more often than not, medication is a short term fix. It literally allows your brain to start creating serotonin and dopamine levels on its own again, right? So you're not going to be on them forever. If you had diabetes, you take insulin, right? If your brain's not working the way it should, right. why wouldn't you take something to fix that in the interim? It's not forever. It's just right now. And that's okay. I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll tell you what happened mm -hmm. when it comes to therapy. You may have heard me say this before. Mental health crisis is the world's oldest continuous pandemic. Oh, no doubt. been around since the beginning of mankind. Here are the barriers that I believe, mm -hmm. and I can prove this, that people typically use to not seek help. The stigmas, the stereotypes, the taboos, the pain, the judgment, the trauma, all of those things, and then some Absolutely. keep people from seeking help. Everybody, and I always talk about negative seeds when, when, I, when I talk about this. So. Everybody wanted to jump in the open water until the movie Jaws came out, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe. Right. <laughs> so, so I, I because I try to make sure. things, I, I try to make things simple and to the point. So, I, so it's the kids keep it simple and straight. So everybody wanted to get in the open water until Jaws came out because that made people think, oh, everybody of open <laughs> water has a shark waiting to just devour you soon to touch it. Now. Same thing has mm -hmm. happened when it comes to mental health. So let's use another movie reference. Sure. The movie One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. That movie was an Oscar-winning film, one for Best Picture, Actor, and Actress. The lead actress, Louise Fletcher, uh, she won mm -hmm. for her role as Nurse Ratchet. That's where that term came from. And it showed how mental health patients were being treated, mm -hmm. even though it was a lockdown facility. <laughs> So I wanted, I want people to understand this. Yes. They were being put in padded rooms. They were being put in straight jackets. They were being lobotomized. They were getting medication to the point where they were catatonic and shit. So when people think about going to get help, a movie like that pops into people's head because they're like, Oh my God, I don't want to be lobotomized. I don't want to be right. put in a straitjacket. I don't want to be put in the padded room. I don't want to be put on medication to the point where I look like I'm the walking dead. Right. I'm just not eating organs and brains and shit. So when I talk to people about seeking mental health, I say, well, get that negative seed out of your head because it, it's about more than that. The medication, like said, you said, is not long term. 
there's medication take it okay there's more there's hold on there's more things than just sitting on the couch for right. 45 minutes and doing a q a you got cognitive behavior well i, I will you talk about EMDR EMDR in just a second too, for trauma. It's not the cure right. all that people say it is right. you know there are See, flaws I, fundamental real flaws I, in the mental health field sure. that we should address immediately like for instance when i was first placed in a mental health facility sure. i was given an antipsychotic because i was immediately not believed um I, and it was called Respiridon. I'm, oh. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And it was so humiliating to sit in front of this person, this doctor, no less, and pour my heart out and tell him everything that happened and have him say, this woman is off her rocker and has clearly lost her mind. Right now, three years later, it's come to light that not only was I telling the truth, that the video evidence exists online. Right. Um, so I wasn't believed by the very people that are supposed to be there and believe me in the first place. And that's a travesty. That's, that's wrong. <laughs> that's disgusting. Um, with EMDR, and this happens in a lot of cases, EMDR caused me to disassociate. Um, I, I vomited all over my therapist's um, couch. And uh, later that night, I went home and tried to kill myself because the pain of what I went there was right at the forefront of my mind and I wasn't readily equipped with how to handle it. Um, so there is an argument to be made that okay. things like EMDR or um, the new one, which I believe the acronym is ART, A-R-T, therapy, uh, should be done in an in-house sitting, you know? And it's a legitimate argument. Okay, instead of just, yeah, you know, the other thing I was going to add to that is I always tell people that just sitting on the couch for 45 no. minutes does not work for people. I tell them there are a bevy and there's a spectrum of modalities mm -hmm. that you should look into, whether it's cognitive behavior, whether it's EMDR. Even the non-traditional modalities, like getting into the metaphysics. So when I interviewed Marcella, that was one of the reasons why that interview, which is coming out uh, in a couple of months, is going to be so powerful because she helps the clients that she serves that have been survivors of trafficking and domestic violence and sexually based offenses. You know how she helps them? Oh man, not just that. This program that she has created so, to heal your inner child. I can promise you, I would yeah. not have the capability to sit here and have this discussion with you without reliving my trauma if it weren't for this program that, um, that mm -hmm. I am a part of in this journey that she's taken me on. Um, and it's, I used it in tandem with therapy and with psychiatry, right? right? Um, and she's a big uh, believer that you should mm -hmm. absolutely do that, right? Um, but I cannot recommend absolutely. this program enough. Yeah. And one of the things I want to do is uh, raise awareness about what she's trying to do. Because, I mean, as, as fellow uh, thrivers and survivors, one of the best things we can do is support one another in our endeavors to um, to help, 
right? right. Um, so if seek Marcella yeah. out, ask her about the uh, inner child healing that she does. Um, I can't speak highly about it enough. I don't want to go into detail about what it entails, but I can tell you that it is simplistic and graceful and done. Oh, no. You don't have to. Cause... An attitude of kindness yeah. towards yourself that I've not seen in any of the therapies I've been in. It's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to because I did. I, I did. That's had her on the show. That's why I interview her. That's awesome. why I'm saying that it's coming out in a couple of months. Uh, that interview, we're talking about that. That's I, I'm going to add to so it happy. even more. It's not just those things. There's mm -hmm. other things like NLP, mm -hmm. the neuro linguistic, yep, uh, program, bilateral EFT, stimulation, right? Um, uh, breath work. Yeah, breath work. I've done those on my platform. I've done those. Actually, I've done a tapping mm -hmm. session on an interview in the Trigger Want to Talk. I've done a, mm -hmm. a breathwork session on one of my interviews. Uh, I've done an NLP session in one of my interviews. Mm -hmm. I bring in people that do Reiki. We've talked about those things. I've done. We're interviewing a person who is doing like hypnotherapy and stuff. I talk about all these non-traditional modalities because I want people to know it's not about taking a pill. It's not about sitting on somebody's couch. There's so many things that you can put in, like you said before, create a therapeutic team to navigate you your deal path, with whatever right? trauma like, that you have. Um, so one I, of the I things, um, right. if it's Absolutely. okay, I think this is a great segue into the nonprofit that I'm trying to uh, get off the ground. Sure. Um, it's called illuminating the path because the idea is that everyone's progress towards independence and freedom from that trauma and that prison of the mind is different, right? But we will be there to hold your hand through that journey, that you are not alone. Mm -hmm. um, we want to, um, Marcella planted this seed in my mind and I ran with it. The goal ultimately is to create a safety net for survivors so that they have the resources available to them mm -hmm. to continue mental health um, therapies long after they've left their abuser. Because like I said, the statistics show that ultimately it's about three months when really it's the long term that has the most effect, right? It's continued support, continued therapy, um, continued um, uh Gosh, I've been the last for words. <laughs> I apologize. That like rarely happens. Um, but the continued act right. of working on yourself through years of practice that gets you back to a baseline of who you were before this trauma was inflicted upon you. Nobody, nobody who's gone through the trauma of sexual exploitation and, and human trafficking should have to worry about how they're going to pay to receive the mental health support they desperately need in order to heal from this trauma that is not their fault. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that this nonprofit That's has right. the ability to change lives and change the narrative. And the other thing I would like to funnel money towards is a program, a dedicated program that will teach mental health professionals how to adequately address the needs of human trafficked victims. Um, because I have talked to therapists 
that just have no clue what to say, right? Because how, if you've not experienced it yourself, how do you address it, right? How do you even begin to talk about it? Um, and it, there just needs, there needs to be a safety net. I keep repeating that, that safety net is oh so important. Um, and I want to create that because there's not one there as of yet, but I think together that's what we could strive to do. We can make that a reality. You know what I thought about, and we're going to be wrapping up in a couple minutes here. I thought about your path and like you said, illuminate mm-hmm. the path. That's the name of your upcoming nonprofit. And we titled this podcast, Illuminating the Path from Sex Trafficking to Singing. <laughs> yes. You are a professional <laughs> singer songwriter. Yep. Oh, man, since I was five, How but professionally for a little over 20 years. And, writing, and you're doing some great work. Uh, yes. even via Clubhouse, which is where we met. And I want people to understand how incredible uh, and given that you are. And I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but one of our, one of my little brothers, I would say, not blood brother, but he's like my little bro. Uh, you are sponsoring him. Yeah. And it's my honor to do so. so like, yeah, it's, it's a privilege. I mean, sexual and human trafficking aside, as as a musician, right, who's, who's lived that life, I feel like it's my duty to inspire and help the younger generation come up and navigate this world, you know, to the best of their ability, right? Um that's right. And if I can do that and make things easier, why wouldn't I? You know, it's just the right thing to do. I want you to tell <laughs> us, we're doing our little shameless plug. Real um, quick. How can people? I think I'm the only Samantha clubs. Ryan there. <laughs> it's the same picture that you see on here. Um, and uh, I have a community on there called um, Midnight Artist Society. And uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> and it's just a bunch Midnight. of them. Um, poets and songwriters who are uh, insomniacs and we get together and hold space for each other and share. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I would love for each of you to come and and be in that moment with us, you know? We're going to have a link on there about that. And what I want you to do is I want you to hang around because I want to talk about, before sure. we wrap up, we always close with a missing person case. So this case involves a young woman. Her name is Bridget Renee Mitchell. And I'm reading this information from Mrs. LP, who's our missing person expert. Uh, some of this information comes from the charlieproject.org. And some of this information is coming from missing in in.org, missingin.org. So uh, Bridget Renee Mitchell, she was born July 24th in 1966 at the age, uh, uh, at the time of her disappearance, she was 33 years old. Height and weight is 5'5 at 195 pounds. She has black hair brown eyes, medium complexion. She's a black female. She has a surgical scar on her right arm, just above the elbow. She was last seen wearing a tan shirt, beige, knee-high pants, and she has some missing teeth in the back and on the side of her mouth. And the details of her disappearance is Mitchell was last seen at her residence in 
Regatta Apartments in the vicinity of the 2100 block of Sandy Lane in Las Vegas. And I want to put her picture on the screen here for those that will be watching this on our YouTube and Spotify page. The YouTube page is Pen Pending Consulting Solutions, LLC. So again, she was last seen at a residence at the Regatta Apartments in the vicinity of the 2100 block of Sandy Lane in Las Vegas, Nevada on August 18, 1999. Neighbors saw her get into a blue Dodge or Toyota truck with a pool company logo on the side. It was driven by two males, one of whom was African-American and the other Hispanic. She has never been heard from again. One of the men who was in the truck with her eventually returned to the area and said he didn't know Mitchell's whereabouts. He was questioned by the cops and cleared as a suspect in her case. Nathan Burkett lived at the same apartment complex as Mitchell and they knew each other. Um, a photo of him is posted in this case summary. Burkett has an extensive criminal record, mostly for violent offenses. He played guilty to manslaughter and the deaths of two women, one of whom was his mother. DNA links him to the murders of three more women, two from Las Vegas and one from LA. Burkett is awaiting trial for two of the murders. Prosecutors plan to seek the death penalty. He was, it wasn't clear whether he was involved in Mitchell's case, however, and he hasn't been named as a suspect. And finally, Bur uh, excuse me, Mitchell left behind six kids. She lived with her brother at the time of her disappearance. He stated it wasn't unusual for her to drop out of sight for a few days at a time, but she has never been gone for a very long time. Her case was mistakenly closed in 2000, but reopened after the cops realized she was still missing. Her case remains unsolved. I'm going to post the link from missingin.org that has the picture that I'm showing on the screen with her demographics and some of the information that I have read to you all. Again, if you have any information about her whereabouts, I want you to contact the Charlie Project. You can contact the Las Vegas Metro Police Department at 702-229-2907. Again, if you have any information about her whereabouts, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, contact the Las Vegas Metro Police Department at 702-229-2907. I want to thank you, Sammy, for being on the Trigger Wanna Talk podcast. We're going to be leaving. I'm your host, LP, and in closing, live in awareness, don't live in fear, keep your head on the swivel, and always remember, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or whatever, you can always send us an email. It's triggerwarningtalkpodcast at gmail.com. For Samantha Ryan. Love and light to all of you. Thank you. Peace and blessings be upon you forevermore.